Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about virtual reality development. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. How's it going, Dave? Doing good, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. We are back from a short break. We had a couple of weeks off, and uh, obviously we don't now, since you can hear us. But uh, yeah, we took a couple of weeks off around Thanksgiving here in the U.S., and uh, we had you know part holiday, and I just had a lot of work to do um, in my other business, so it seemed like a good time to put VR on hold for a couple of weeks. So I think this will be a pretty light episode in terms of uh, development topics. I have a, a couple things to touch on, um, but we have a bit of a more interesting topic to start with, and that's something that you got recently. Yes. I finally took receipt just before Thanksgiving of my U.S. edition of the TP cast. And sunk the time into getting the thing set up and working and boy there's a lot <laughs> that that setup process is not simple yeah is it a lot of hardware and software or uh it's almost entirely hardware so yeah it uh it takes really quite a while to get the tp cast set up uh particularly if you are um if you're using the deluxe audio strap, because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to have been particularly designed with that in mind. <laughs> like it works. It totally works, but kind of a pain in the tail to get set up. So I put together a whole stack of bullet points about the good and the bad. And I'll start with the good. And we'll talk about all the nice things about it. And then we'll talk about the not so wonderful things about it. Oh. Um, so it works yeah. like it's totally wireless VR. Um, I can't tell the difference in overall quality, though there are some weird little cutouts and things that I'll talk about later in the bad section. But in general, I'm just standing in the middle of my living room, strolling around and never once stepping on a cable. Nice. And that's kind of awesome. Um, one of my favorite things about it is the power brick for it is huge, but it's a commodity power brick. They got their, their power brick from Anchor. Oh, okay. And so you just hop on Amazon and pay uh, $31.69 and get a big honking power brick that runs for like five hours. And so it was relatively trivial to just get another power supply for this thing as a backup. Charge them from whatever, because I don't need weird chargers. I don't need weird adapters. It's just, oh, you know, micro USB running into this thing. Charge the thing up. Plug it into the device and go. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, They had an opportunity there to make it a huge pain in the butt for people to get multiple head or uh, multiple battery supplies and they didn't take that and i applaud them for that how big is it like physically it's the battery i mean pretty big hang on just a second i got one right next to me it is about the length of the 
handle portion of the Vive handset. Okay. Okay, so one of the Vive hand controllers. It's basically the exact same length as the handle, about the same thickness. But if you take the width at the very top where it connects into the the tracker-shaped part, mm-hmm. that width right there can continue that all the way down. Okay. So wider at the bottom, but the exact same width at the top. The thing is heavy. It is not a lightweight battery pack. Yeah. But it also lasts for five hours, according to them. I haven't spent five hours in VR on a single charge, so I can't confirm that. But extra large battery pack, not a huge problem. Um, and then one of the components that they have... so. One of the things that they did as far as the setup goes is they introduced kind of an air gap between the uh, the little box that you plug all the ca- all the Vive cables into mm-hmm. and right. the headset. So they got this little box that you need to put someplace really easily accessible, nice and up high, so it can always have a line of sight to the top of your headset. And so they needed a big long cable that would run between the box that you normally plug the cables into and this other thing. But it's basically the same plugs. So they actually just use the one that comes with the Vive. Oh, okay. So the cable that used to run all all the way to your headset now just runs to this. Hmm. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Slight downside... Maybe not as long as I'd really like if I wanted to try and get this thing someplace else in the room. Like, the Vive cable is long enough for me to get anywhere in my play space as long as I want to use a straight line. Yeah. But it's not enough for me to run along two sides of the room, then up to the ceiling, because that would be the most convenient place for me. Mm -hmm. Then again, it's also just HDMI and USB. So I could theoretically replace that. But I liked the fact that when they needed a long cable, they just used one that everybody was already going to have. And that I wasn't going to have this huge cable just coiled up in a corner someplace on the off chance that I'd ever need it again. It also means I'm not going to lose that cable if I ever want to step back down. So, yeah. kind of cool. I, I It struck me as something where somebody was thinking about the problem rather than just going, oh, we need a long cable from point A to point B. Let's just stick one in the box and add 20 bucks to the cost of the, of the hardware. Um, unfortunately, that largely reaches the end of our good stuff. <laughs> nice. Um, I mean, again, the first bullet point is the important one. It actually works. It is wireless Vive VR. And that's, in the end... For the most part, all that matters. <clears throat> now, for the not so great. Um, that wireless receiver on the end of the Vive cable, mm-hmm. it whines just a little bit. Okay. It's that, like a little motor whining? No, like a, uh, a high-pitched transformer whine. You ever walk hmm. into somebody's house and know that their television is on even though there's nothing on the screen? No. Okay. Um, my hearing works pretty well at the really high frequencies. And so if somebody's uh, like 
I would see somebody who had their television on, but their cable box was off. So the television is on, but it's just showing a perfectly black screen. And I could hear the transformer whine from in the hardware for the television. Um, if you've listened to any of John Syracuse's stuff, he's constantly complaining about this in his televisions because it's audible to some people. It's like that um, that mosquito noise that they wanted to use to get kids to stop hanging out in front of stores in the mall. Did you hear about that one? No, I think I missed that. There was teenager repellent that somebody came up with. It's just a little box that outputs this whine that's really not audible to anybody over the age of like 25 or 30. Um, it turns out I can hear those noises. Fun. And so there's a little bit of a whine. So if you've got that really sensitive hearing to the high frequencies, you might hear it. Um, you have to yeah, make... No, oh, go ahead. I know the, uh, <clears throat> the motors on the... Steam VR sensors whine a little bit. Um, one of mine is a little bit louder than the other, and the only time I ever hear it is when they're starting up or turning off. Like once they've been on for a couple minutes, it just kind of disappears into the general white noise. But I also live in the city where it's just constantly a layer of white noise covering everything. So city noise. Yeah. Yeah. Like at any point, there is. You know, fifteen thousand cars driving down the interstate, less than a mile from here. So yeah, it wasn't enough to drive me nuts. Um, and as a general rule of thumb, when I'm in VR, I've got the headphones on anyway, or through the deluxe audio strap. So mm -hmm. this little high-pitched whine somewhere way in the background in one corner of the room, not a huge annoyance, but it's there. Um, yeah. It may also cause a situation where you periodically want to power the thing down rather than like, just leave it connected. Like for recording podcasts? Yeah, possibly. Although I think right now it's powered up. I'd actually have to... Although the computer that it's plugged into is off. One of the problems with this thing is there are a ton of components. And so keeping track of where everything is and how everything works is a little bit funky. But I'll get further mm -hmm. into that farther down the list. So yeah. we got this little that, receiver. Oh, go ahead. That's one of my biggest gripes about getting into VR in general. Mm -hmm. is before VR, I had a single laptop with a single screen and a phone and an iPad. And that was it for all of the electronics in my life. And now I've just got wires everywhere and screens and keyboards and yeah, you headsets didn't even have and a television, Did you? No. Nah. Yeah. You poor man. I know. It's getting ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, just the, the the number of just wires in my house has has gone from basically like two, like two that I use every day. There was a a, a lightning cable to charge my phone, an iPad, and a Thunderbolt cable to plug into a docking station for the Mac, and now I've got like I don't know twelve that I use for different things. And there's like a charging station in the living room with a bunch of devices. Like, yeah, it's just a, a lot of equipment that comes yeah. with VR right now. So that receiver that you've raised up into the air in a corner of the room, you have to maintain line of sight between the top of the headset and that receiver, or you get horrible chop in the VR. Like effectively VR is dead 
if your head or your body falls between those two things. Hmm. Well, I've got this thing raised up on a third tripod that I purchased in the corner of the room. Which means if I crouch down in the opposite corner of the room, facing away from that tripod, my head or my body, my shoulders, will fall between that receiver and the thing on top of my head. And I'm, I'm basically out of VR. Mm, fun. I mean, I can stand up and it fixes. Or I can kind of straighten my head a little bit and now that receiver gets line of sight and it works. In a perfect world... I could do whatever's required to make that thing actually stick in the very center of the ceiling. And that would probably fix the problem. But that's freaking obnoxious and it's going to look ugly. Yeah. Like, that's not that's not living room grade for your setup. If they really need that, I think I want two of those. Yeah, that would make sense. Especially like, if you could just attach them to the same tripods as the centers. Yes. <laughs> Give a little plastic clip or something so that that thing just sits right on top of the uh, the Vive lighthouses. Mm-hmm. And that would be fantastic. Now, on the other um, hand, it does sound like you might have a potential feature with this uh, this little bug is you could thoroughly mess with your friends when they're in VR just by blocking that little box. Yes, because when I'm trying to get somebody into VR, what I really want to do is make their experience less pleasant. Well, depends on the friends. <laughs> uh, so I already mentioned how it's a bit of a pain to install if you have the deluxe audio strap. Mm-hmm. Effectively, if you look at the way the, the deluxe audio strap on top doubles back on itself... Mm-hmm. All the adjustment that you're trying to do is now happening kind of halfway inside the receiver box that goes on your head. (laughs) Like, they just added two more little baffles. And so you end up in this spot where you're like pulling the cable farther through so you can separate the Velcro so you can adjust it. Then you pull it back through so you can adjust the part that's on the outside of the box. And then you pull it back through so you can do the part that's on the inside of the box. And then you realize that you tighten the whole thing too much. So you go back and you got to re-loosen the whole thing and adjust it again. Just kind of a pain in the tail. Yeah, no thanks. It was also kind of obnoxious after I did the deluxe audio strap like two weeks earlier. <laughs> and ended up getting, getting to redo all the wiring to wire in the deluxe audio strap. And then turning around two weeks later and doing it all over again. For the TP cast. Because you're pulling all the wires out of that headset. To rerun them all in a different way. But hey it works. Um, It includes its own Wi-Fi access point. Which I'm sure is part of the cost of the TP cast. Why? I'm not entirely sure. Because it's not 100% clear what signals move to the receiver up by the ceiling and which signals are moving through the Wi-Fi access point. I I don't know. Hmm. But it's there. They really don't want you messing with the settings for it. They want you to leave everything just as it's set, which I immediately wonder if it's a a network attack vector. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know anything about this box. Um and if you've got like 
one Ethernet port. You're using wired internet into your computer, mm-hmm. and you've only got one Ethernet port in your computer. They actually want you to change the network topology for your home network, inserting this Wi-Fi access point in between those two things, it being the only way for your computer to still get internet and still have this thing plugged into the computer. That's kind of gross. Yes. Yes. Um, let's call it suboptimal. Yeah. Um, but they really, really don't want you doing Wi-Fi through your own access point, which... You know, I can see if something's getting overloaded. You know, this one for the most part isn't carrying internet unless you are, you know, messing with your topology in that way. So I've just got this extra hidden Wi-Fi access point in my house. And that's another thing that I need to mess with to try and position in different places to try and get some of the reception working better. Um... So the original price that everybody was talking about back when it was first released in Asia mm-hmm. was two fifty, and when it finally landed in the U.S., it was fifty dollars higher. Mm-hmm. Maybe because they're including a Wi-Fi access point. I don't know if that was in the original package, but so it's a three hundred dollar package, and then the shipping, the slow shipping, was another twenty five dollars. Nice for FedEx Ground. If you wanted two day shipping. To me in Ohio, they wanted $85.54. That's insane. Yeah. Like, just just flat out ludicrous for two-day shipping for a box. Yeah, I mean, I had an iMac delivered overnight for like $19 one time. Mm-hmm. They had an overnight option, and it was, or next day. And it was over a hundred dollars, like a hundred and twenty five hundred and fifty bucks. Um, so between the price and the shipping, even at okay, I'm fine if you take a week. I was looking at three twenty five to get the thing. Yeah, it's a little spendy. Yeah, two fifty was a much happier price point than three hundred. Um, you could have gotten, you could have almost gotten an entire another headset for that. Yes. In fact, during Black Friday, I think Oculus went down to 350 for a couple of days. <laughs> then yes, I could have just gotten an Oculus. Um, so, <clears throat> I'm still noticing lots of periodic tiny jumps. Basically dropped frames. Mm-hmm. Um, moments, uh, a tenth of a second where the tracking drops and then picks back up. Is it that is it that gray kind of flash screen? Are you seeing that? Um it's more just where the handset doesn't move when my hand moves. Okay. Or my head tilts and there's just a the tiniest delay before it notices. This is not constant. Or rather it is constant but not continuous. Like Every 30 to 45 seconds, as I'm moving around the room, I'll drop a frame. Hmm. And there's just this tiniest jump. It's possible that it has something to do with the way I've got all of this wired up. Like, I may need to move the access point to somewhere else in the room. I may need to move the huge honking tripod that's holding this receiver up in the air. 
Um, I when I'm wearing the headset and using it and tracking properly, I can't tell exactly where I am with the in the room. So I don't know if it mostly has to do with if I'm facing in a particular direction or something like that. Um, I'm not even sure that you would notice if you hadn't had significant time into the wired version of the headset. Yeah. But the wired version, I basically never dropped frames. I, aside from a dead lighthouse in my initial receiving, I had basically a bulletproof experience with the Vive once I got it set up. Mm -hmm. I just didn't like the cable. Um, so I'm, I'll have to report back on whether I can take care of those, get those gone. In theory, they shouldn't be there because everybody else who reviewed this thing, who's experienced in VR stuff should have noticed them. Mm -hmm. So maybe I've got a hardware problem. Maybe I just need to move things around in my room. Maybe there's way too many Wi-Fi devices in my house and I'm getting a collision somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. So um, the main question is, are you going to keep using it? Yes. Sweet. I haven't gotten all the way through the list yet. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's still more bad stuff. Um, there's an extra step now to get into VR. Hmm. Because the Steam software can't see across the bridge. It's not like some... It doesn't appear to be some driver that just got installed. And now it can see across the bridge by default. So you actually have to launch the TPCast software. That checks to make sure that it can find every point in the connection. And then you launch the Steam VR and the Steam VR goes, Hey, look, there's a headset. Otherwise, it can't find the headset. So, hmm. ew. Yeah. A little. Um, the battery is a little more annoying than I anticipated. Um, it means that I can't just pick up the headset and go. Like, they have a nice little pouch for the battery pack to go in. And a strap. So you can attach it around your waist or sling it over a shoulder. But there's this second piece that you have to mess with. Mm -hmm. And it's a thing that you have to put on during the VR getting ready part. This is a thing that your VR squire would assist you with. (laughs) Um, And so I don't know that I actually saved any startup steps. Like I made it made everything easier to get into VR when I went to the deluxe audio strap because now I don't have to do the headphones separately. Mm-hmm. They're not a separate step when I'm getting going, but now I have to mess with the battery. And before, when I took the headset off, the headset was off and I could walk away from it. And now I have to take the headset off. And then before I go very far, because it's a really short cable, I have to take the battery pack off. Either unslinging it from my shoulder or hitting the little belt buckle release thing. Um, you know, it's it's good quality stuff, but not exactly the the pick up and go kind of uh, feeling that I was hoping for. I'm considering actually, because the batteries are relatively heavy, I was considering basically wiring two of them together and attaching them on opposite sides of the deluxe audio strap on the side parts of the strap. So it would be battery pack, battery pack, and then receiver on top of your head. 
which will look awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I mean, VR already, I mean, the dork factor is already pretty high, but it would just look amazing. But it would allow you to pick up the VR headset, put it on your head, and go. Assuming that you had the various software things set up and everything was working that way. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. So, in general, rather than being simpler slash easier, because of the wiring, the extra hardware, the battery pack, both keeping charged and making sure that it's attached to you, going wireless may actually be a bigger pain in the butt than using wired. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a good fit for me. Um, I'm not going to get rid of it, I don't think. But it's not as out of the park as I might anticipate. I would, mm. I would strongly guess that most of the people who were trying these things out at cons and stuff like that never had the experience of trying to set one up. Mm-hmm. And they also had a VR squire there to help them get into it. So you just don't notice that it didn't get any easier or simpler or more streamlined. But when I stood there in the middle of the room to go play some um, uh, quiver out of the Steam Lab. It was great. Yeah. No cable around. I could just kind of move and it was good. That was all fine. Getting the thing set up, total pain in the butt. Uh, Getting the VR headset on my head, extra steps. (laughs) But once I was in it, and aside from a couple of periodic dropped frames, once I was in it, it was great. I was strolling around, having a grand old time. I went and looked. My favorite high-resolution moment for the Vive is that robot repair station mm-hmm. yeah. in the Steam Labs. And just the the resolution of that i'm not entirely sure if they haven't gone back and added new textures and stuff because that thing looks freaking amazing even with the wireless Hmm. it's just so much detail it looks great and i found the cable running out the back of my head and trailing across the floor to be endlessly obnoxious but I, if you don't hate that cable with a fiery passion, I'm not sure the TP cast is worth it. Yeah. I happen to hate the the cable with a fiery passion. And so I think the TP cast is worth it just barely. Yeah, it didn't bother me. The only time the, the cable gets on my nerves is if I'm playing hollow ball or something like that where I'm doing a lot of sideways motions with my arms. Mm-hmm. And that's only since I got the deluxe audio strap where it routes the cord on one side of the headset instead of over the top, which I could probably just change that and it would go away. But yeah, it just, it really doesn't bother me. The size of my play area works well with the cord. And uh, one of my friends was playing super hot the other day and wasn't crazy about the wire, but for me, it doesn't sound like it's worth the trade-off now. I, mean, I definitely want wireless VR, but I think I'll wait for the next yeah. Vive or Steam VR headset that just is wireless. Yeah, somebody's going to integrate it mm-hmm. if they really need it. To if they really need to have multiple receivers, it'll be in the next gen uh, lighthouses. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or something. They'll yeah. figure something out. Something will be better than this. It's really interesting technology, but it's all third party. Uh, the other thing that I didn't mention, it should have been on my list, but on the good side, is their packaging is very nice. Nice. It wasn't quite up to the standard that the Vive itself had with those awesomely textured little plastic bags and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it was very, very nice packaging. Did, did you take a little video and put it on YouTube? I did not. Um, I always think about that, A, right before I'm going to open the package. I'm like, you know what? I don't care. (laughs) And about halfway through opening the package, I go, you know, I really should have recorded a video. (laughs) And then I go on with what I'm doing. So. So, yeah, there's there's the TP cast. So TLDR, if you really, really hate that cable and you have like 350 375 bucks to spend because I had to buy another tripod. <laughs> Big tall one to stick in the corner of the room. If you really, really hate that cable and you got a lot of money to blow, knock yourself out. Other than that, yeah, you can probably get by with what you got. I would yeah. advise it. Yeah, this would be a good episode to look back on in a couple of years once the technology moves way past where we are now and we can just point to this episode and laugh at <laughs> just how kludgy VR was. Oh, yeah. No, this will be the thing that I'll show to my, like, grandnieces and grandnephews. Is like, look what VR used to be before we had neural shunts. Yeah. There used to be physical devices that we interacted with. It was barbaric. I, I used to own a Nintendo Power Glove. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine had one of those. I was so jealous. Well, I actually never had the Nintendo that it plugged into. There was a set of stuff that people were working on to change the plug so that it would plug into a Macintosh and you could use all the little joint movements as inputs on your Mac. And I wanted to play with it and it sat there on a shelf for like four years. Nice. And I don't know what happened to it, but it got lost in some move. Maybe it's still sitting in a box somewhere in my basement. I don't know. But yeah, so there's my experience with the TP cast. If anybody has particular questions about how it works or anything like that, feel free to drop us a line. But other than that, I'm guessing we won't talk about it hugely in the future. Though in just, what is it, 10 days, 9 days, uh, Fallout 4 VR lands. Nice. And that was part of why I really wanted this, was I really want to spend some time in Fallout land without a cable. So... There'll probably be a brief update in a later podcast. Nice. So while we're talking about wireless headsets, the brand new HTC Daydream headset with WorldSense technology does not exist. And uh, this is old news by now. It's a couple weeks old. It doesn't exist? It it doesn't exist and it's not going to exist. Uh, HTC had their event. I think towards the end of the last podcast, we talked about this briefly. Yeah, HTC was having a product event in China, and they were expected to announce their WorldSense headset. Instead, they announced an HTC Focus headset that's only going to be available in Asia and is not coming to the U.S., and then they canceled their WorldSense headset with Google. And uh, I'll have a link to a Road to VR article about that. But that... uh, that week after we recorded the last episode, I had made some pretty good progress in AI stuff and was 
getting into a night's groove and I got that news and it just kind of floored me. And I was like, well, you know, this is the platform that I have been investing a lot of time in. And now half of the manufacturers who are making this platform disappear. Supposedly Lenovo is still making theirs. It'll be out by the end of the year, whenever that is. Um, (laughs) It's like, it's early December. They're running out of time. Yeah, exactly. So I'm kind of losing faith in uh, at least in that happening anytime soon. I still want this technology. I know we talked about it when Oculus had their event with their standalone headset. Um, the one thing that's noticeable about the Vive or the HTC Focus is it has a six degree of freedom inside out tracking with a regular kind of silly daydream style controller. It's not a daydream controller, it's something they made themselves, but it's essentially the same thing that Google and Samsung made for those three off controllers. So it's not a positionally tracked controller that they're shipping with it, which hopefully, I think that's what daydream was planning on doing as well. Um, so it'll be a while before we actually get a six degree of freedom headset that's completely untethered that also has six degree of freedom controllers. Um, but in the meantime, you can get a TP cast. <laughs> yeah. So that was just, it was bad news. I decided at that time to spend some time indulging my curiosity in web VR. So I spent a couple of days just diving into web VR in more detail and figuring out not just how to build stuff in a scene, but you know, what happened, how do I set up a server architecture for it? What's the hosting like? What are the CDNs like? What's the cost going to be like? Um, and I learned quite a bit and I learned just enough to know that I'm going to keep working on native development for now. Um, and that's mainly, it's not a technical decision. I actually think I like web VR more than unity or Unreal engine in terms of just how it's built and it just makes more sense to me. The web really? technology just makes more sense to me. That's interesting. Tell but me more. It's just like I made a web app earlier this year and it was one of the, I wouldn't say easy. It was a simple thing to learn compared to writing native code. Um, okay. So yeah, what a frame kind of builds on that same series of premises and uh <clears throat> the main reason i think i'm going to put web vr on hold for now is i have always wanted to build a product space company and i don't see a way to do that in web vr i see web vr is a great opportunity for me to do more consulting work and build lots of websites for other people but i don't see me building a website a web VR website that I can charge money for in some capacity. I don't have any ideas for anything that could go like that. I'm sure people will come up with web apps and I'll be kicking myself for not being the one to think of it. But all of my ideas in web VR are either silly, entertaining apps that, you know, would be fun to visit, but nobody would ever want to pay for, or large uh, consulting projects for, small businesses or museums or things like that. But, uh, you know, I want to try to get away from the consulting world for a while. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's currently what pays the bills, and that's great, but I, I do want to see if I can actually make some products and release them on my own. Um, so far, I've done that once, and it did not go particularly well financially with Random Arrow. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's messy. Um you know, the last couple of months I've been working on this Daydream app and planning on releasing that in the Daydream store, either either uh, as a low-cost app and uh, try to make some money on it or release it for free and just try to get some attention. Um, I may still do that. In fact, I'm still like actively working on that project to the extent that I'm working on VR right now. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. It's tricky. So I guess that kind of poorly segues into my other topic, which is... Speaking of segues. Yeah. Um, so as I learn more and more about AI development, um, or just building AI stuff in Unity, it just... This is one of those areas where Unity kind of sucks compared to Unreal Engine in terms of the AI stack, the navigation features. Um, and it just doesn't really have any AI features natively. You know, it does basic nav mesh stuff and, and pathfinding, but other than that, that's pretty much where the magic stops and everything else you've got to code yourself. And I've gone through a couple of books on it and learned how to do, you know, the the big overarching things of like blend blending different things together and doing behavior trees and blackboards, stuff like that. Um, so it occurred to me over the weekend, let me just see what happens in Unreal Engine. If I let, let me see how far I can get in Unreal Engine solving the AI challenge that I want without actually thinking about the VR app. So I'm not certain that I'm going to switch back to Unreal Engine for this project. And I'm not... I'll, I'm not certain if I'm even going to keep going with the project. I think I am. There's, it's entirely possible I may release it on Steam instead of Daydream, um, which could be kind of cool because I could make a, a much better product that way mm-hmm. than just a three-off thing. Um, but Unreal Engine has a series of trade-offs if I go back to working in that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to explain what that was or No, we got it in the previous episode. Okay, good. Sorry about that. I don't I don't remember which one though. But yeah, so Unreal Engine has a series of trade-offs and working with it. So does Unity. Obviously Unity doesn't have the AI stuff I want, but it has a, a much bigger community and a much bigger asset store. Um it is just plain easier to work in. Uh, like visually Unity is a bit more organized and kind of user-friendly. Um, but Unreal Engine has lots of AI stuff built in, way better navigation stuff. Um, it's got all of those specialized workflow editors. Uh, I really like the material editor, things like that. Um, it has blueprints and C++ and then on the downside it has blueprints and C++ so 
those are a bit more confusing than just writing C-sharp, which is, you know, I wouldn't say a bit more confusing. They're way more confusing than just writing C-sharp. Um, right. But on the other hand, a lot of the AI source code that I have access to from the books I've read is all in C++. So that could kind of get me a lot of the, a lot of the way there. And that would be a big chunk of code that I could learn from as far as design patterns and things in C++. Um, the one of the biggest downsides, at least for me, is I've got these two computers that I work on. I've got the pretty much the beefiest Apple laptop that money can buy, and Unreal Engine runs fine on here, but it was maxing the four CPU cores pretty much the entire time I was using it for like three hours. It was just completely maxing everything, and uh. I think at one point I just just to gauge the two I put the uh, frames per second counter in the viewport and I was getting around seventy frames per second on the Mac and one hundred and twenty on the PC and the PC fan never even spun up like I think Unreal Engine is just way more optimized for Windows because hardware wise they're not that different the uh, the PC has way better graphics than the Mac, but the... Which is probably where the big impact is coming from. The bottlenecks I was running into on Mac, though, were all CPU, though. Like, looking yeah. at my benchmark stuff, the I wasn't pushing the GPU very hard, but the CPU was just maxed. It hmm. was just clogging after a while. So it's not, it's not going to be a great idea to continue working on the Mac if I do move over to Unreal Engine for a while. Uh, the other, some of the other cons are long, long compile times, um, as opposed to Unity just doing the real time compiling in the background. Um, yeah, the uh, the one thing that may make me scare me off of it entirely if I decide to keep going with Daydream is I'm not certain that this is still true because it may just be a case of the documentation being out of date. But Google VR's documentation tells me to download a special version of Unreal Engine and build it from source. I'm like, I'm not crazy about doing that. <laughs> Especially if I want to make a cross-platform thing that supports Samsung VR. Like, now I've got a daydream version of Unreal Engine over here. Do I have to do the same thing over here? And how do I get those to meet? Like, just, yeah. yeah. What if they start updating on different cycles? And mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I couldn't tell in Unreal Engine's documentation if that was still the case that I needed to, to do that. So I was just going to, mainly right now, I'm going to play with the AI stuff and see if this is, if it does everything that I want it to do and if I like working with it. And then if that's the case, I'll see if I can get Daydream deployment running on it. And uh, hopefully I don't have to build a special version for it. But Yeah. I'm interested to see what your thoughts are on that because I've just been basically over the last two weeks I've been working on a bunch of FileMaker consulting work and uh, whenever I'm not doing that I've been playing lots of games and then just thinking about these three environments in the background of making products in Unity, making products in Unreal Engine or making web apps in A-Frame and WebVR, 
And I, I think at this point I've pushed A-Frame out the door, at least for now. Um, and I want to give it a go to the products-based approach. And then, uh, so it kind of comes down back to Unity and Unreal Engine. I don't feel like I've wasted time in either of them because I feel like I've learned a lot about game development in general. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the other big, one of the big pros for Unreal Engine is it has way better built-in support for Steam VR, whereas with Unity you still have to use a plugin to get Steam VR working, and their VR editor is built into the engine as opposed to an external plugin, and it's frankly just I haven't tried the Unity one. I just watched a YouTube video on it, and it looked kind of cute, but the Unreal Engine <laughs> one is freaking awesome. So, right. There's that. So yeah, you know, series of trade-offs, just like everything in VR right now, everything is a series of trade-offs. Like, what do you want to sacrifice for what you're working on? So I'm, I'm curious what you have to say on this. Well, um, conceptually, I'm, I'm unopposed. I mean, it, it sounds like a fine way to go. If they've got better AI tools, that's great. The question to me is, do those AI tools do the things that you're going to need? Like the specific, now that you know enough about AI, do those AI tools do the specific things that you're going to need to be able to make this game work in a reasonable fashion? Mm -hmm. Because if it doesn't, all you get is transition time and then you picked up like 10% progress. But that transition time is going to take a while. Um, not a huge amount of time, but it'll take a while to convert stuff over and, and things like that. And, you know, learn more about how to feed Maya into that system rather than the other one and those various little little differences. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the question is, is it really going to get you there? Because one of the things that I'm starting to fear is that your, your concept for your first VR game may have turned out to be dramatically more complicated than it looked at first blush. Yes, definitely. That, that the things that you're trying to accomplish AI-wise aren't actually simple AI problems. They're uh, the kind of those B8 problems, things that look really simple to a human being and are a pain in the tail to explain to a computer mm -hmm. the difference between the letter B and the number 8. Um, so I'm almost wondering if it isn't a decent time while you're having this consideration to consider whether you should actually shelve this game for a while mm -hmm. and come up with a different concept that won't have those same AI limitations. Like, I'm not sure that a lot of people who play with AI in unity are completely annoyed because a lot of games get by with you know that a star pathfinding yeah like that gets the job done and they're like boom done out the door and you selected something with a dramatically more complicated ai and pathfinding setup mm -hmm. um not initially and obviously so but after further consideration yes yeah yeah, because what I need needs to do not just pathfinding, but 
hunting and seeking, innovating and pursuing, and blending those together at the same time doing obstacle avoidance and sensing the environment with sight and sound. So yeah, it's pretty much the the whole AI pie. Oh, I'm having a brain fart right now, but what's the the running where you're like jumping over walls and falling off the side of buildings and stuff like that? Parkour? Parkour, yes. Um I mean, what you're talking about is like like a parkour AI with extra stuff on top, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that that you know. Upon further consideration, you might have selected a very very difficult problem to start with. Yeah, yeah. I almost wonder if I should try to find one of the authors from these various books that I've read and see if they can sell me an hour of their time for a consultation, like. How big of an AI problem is this? <laughs> it's like if the AI if AI had a Millennium Prize, this would be on the list. Okay, thanks. Walk away slowly. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I, I follow the guy that wrote a book on Unreal Engine AI on Twitter. Maybe I'll reach out to him. Let's see what he has to think. Yeah, I guess the other option is just to uh, go back to the drawing board and uh, see what other ideas I've got in my head. I mean, at one point you had a whole big list. You were socking away game ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I can turn that part of my brain back on anytime. I turn it on every couple of weeks and just out dumps a whole bunch of stuff. And then I'm like, no, go away. I don't have time to build all this stuff. Yeah, I've still got piles of notes. I, I basically keep a list of every idea I have, whether it's VR related or app related or mm-hmm. business or personal or just projects I, I want to work on. And the uh, the Google Assistant thing, what do they call it? The Google Homes make that easier than ever because I just set up a bunch of if this then that recipes to write stuff directly to an Evernote notebook when I have those ideas. That's kind of a, you know, pretty convenient. It's also really nice to be able to use those while I'm in VR. So I can take notes while I'm in VR. Yeah. 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 There's plenty of ideas. There's also, yeah, I have no shortage of VR ideas. I just, it becomes the same problem that we have now with this one of I have lots of ideas that I know at first glance, like I can't build that. I'm not right. capable of building that right now. And there's other ideas like, yeah, I can totally do this. Like, like this one that I'm working on this sounds super easy. I'll have it out in a month, <laughs> four months later. In the first category, it's like, I've got this really cool idea for like a variation on GTA five in VR. Yeah. It's a, no. it's a little big. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll make Fallout Five. <laughs> just, but, just leapfrog them. You by, know what? You know what? They're working on five. I'm gonna make Fallout Six by myself. Yes, and it'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. No thanks. So yeah, I got some thinking to do. Um, I'm diving back into 
the VR world this week. I still have some FileMaker work to do. Um, just been doing some consulting for a couple of my customers and uh, pretty straightforward stuff. But it was, it's nice to, it, it's nice to be good at something. <laughs> to be competent for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just built an entire project last week and didn't have to look up how to do anything. Yeah. Like it, that feels good. As opposed to, you know, every 20 minutes in Unity, like, okay, how do I do this really basic thing? In fact, hold on a second. I don't even know how to ask the question yet. Yeah. And, it, and it's a really nice feeling. You just don't want to have that experience all day every day 52 weeks out of the year yeah like if you're not if you're not growing yeah that's exactly where i got to a couple years ago when i started to look into other stuff yeah i think maybe that's why the web stuff appealed to me because it was it was challenging stuff but i knew how to ask the questions Mm -hmm. whereas in game dev and game design i'm still learning what the questions are so yeah i don't know i'm only going to get the experience by doing it so i just need to find a viable business model to allow myself to keep doing it long enough to get good at it or i could do that whole uh what's those things that people get that make them sad jobs i can get a job (laughs) don't really want to do that though oh you poor poor man Yes. Yeah. Like we said a couple weeks ago, these are these are good problems to have. Pretty high quality problems. Like gee, what what should I do? Which which of these incredibly powerful game engines where almost all of the work is done for me should I pick? <laughs> and it's all, the next best thing to completely free. Yeah. Poor me. Woe is me. <laughs> what a difficult life it's almost the worst form of first world problems yeah an embarrassment of riches vr world problems yeah that was my feeling a couple of years ago when i started getting back into game design stuff is i dipped my toe in the water and saw how much power was available in the raw engines and went wait a second if there's this much stuff here and i don't make a game that's all on me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not the engine's fault. This is my fault. And here I am a couple of years later and I haven't finished a game. So, but hey, lots of content for podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, this is about VR development, not necessarily shipping anything. <laughs> That's our show for today. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm VRHermit underscore Dave. And I'm VRHermit underscore Joe. Thanks for listening. 